Good afternoon with Dennis Fithian on Detroit Sports. Ready to get things underway. Podcast number 21. Coming up this hour, how I feel about the MLB infighting. Thoughts on Steve Eiserman and Red Wings head coach Jeff Blashill. In a half hour, I'll talk with fellow EMU alum Ryan Woolley. But first, the outstanding writer for the Detroit News, Angelique Schinkelis, uh, joins me. Angelique, hi. Dennis, I didn't know it's your 21st episode, and 21 is my favorite number. Is it really? Yeah, isn't that great? It's my birthday number, and I just, I've always liked the number. Desmond Howard? Yeah, yeah, Desmond Howard. <laughs> I actually wore it uh, high school sports until I decided to go with five for Johnny Bench, but I started out wearing 21 volleyball and softball, and, and uh, definitely uh, went to, I wanted to pay tribute to Johnny, so I went to five. You were a but, catcher? Yeah. You were a catcher? I was. I was. Uh, first year, I played uh, short center. It was slow pitch. And then we moved to fast pitch, and I was a, I was a catcher for three years. Yeah. You know, that's that's a fun job, you know, throwing down the, the signals. And then, uh, you know, you're involved You're involved in every play, right? Like the, the center oh, and quarterback. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. I remember I came home and told my mom. I said, oh, yeah, the coaches want me to play uh, catch. And she said, no. Because – she has a history of terrible joints, which I now found out. I've had my hip replaced, and she's like, "Didn't she wanted to save my knees?" And I kind of wish I'd listened to her. I'm glad I didn't. It's kind of like when you talk to all those football players, all the older guys who've had eight million surgeries, and they're like, oh, "I still do it again because I love playing football. I still do it again because I love playing catcher and fast pitch." But my knees are not great. Yeah, I've <laughs> always, right. you know, I always uh, have thought just looking over the years that, that people that just play like uh, intramural softball or whatever. And, you know, the catchers back there, there's no mask, you know, and it always seems like, man, that's kind of a dangerous uh, just – but, I mean, in, in high school you have a mask on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we did. That was uh, definitely lots of protection, but still doesn't save your knees. No, <laughs> there's, okay. there's nothing you can do about that. You would go back and do it all over again, though, right? Absolutely, for that, that brilliant high school career I had. Yes, I would do it. <laughs> uh, it's all about the competition. It's about being part of a team. I mean, there's nothing better than that. Well, speaking of that competition, coming up in just uh-huh. moments, uh, I know Jim Harbaugh had some things today about his quarterback competition, which I spend, you know, uh, my days, you know, passing my time thinking about that probably too much. But, you know, everyone knows you for your writing. You've always been, you know, great on the, the radio. You do an entertaining podcast. And, of course, many see you on Twitter and, and even Instagram. And, you know, I'm going to get to that in a moment as well. But, uh, you know, you have a, a TikTok or anything you want to get out there? No, no, I'm not doing that. I'm drawing the line. I'm like, I can't handle much more than, than Twitter and Instagram. And I'm not even that, uh, that active on Instagram. I, I like it. It's just like, you know, how much can I do? You know, I like your, I'm always there for the content of like, you're the last one to leave the press box. Here's the sunset. You know, here's how Ann Arbor looks at whatever time at night. I'm always there for that one. I, I really like that. <laughs> I do. I'm so, so yeah. serious. It's it's great. I like I mean, that one too. <laughs> whatever it is, you know, you, you'll you'll hit the sunset. It's from the you know the and the Michigan press box is way up there now, so it's a really nice vantage point. Uh, I always like that. Yeah, it is. It is, and I I try with my little uh, iPhone to take a good picture, and sometimes you can't. But yeah, it's sort of like it's sort of fun. It's, I'm usually one of the last ones there, and and it's quiet, and it's like, oh, this is when it's really beautiful. It is. I really do like those. I'm I'm serious. Now, I you, you could, you know, take after, you know, the, the the Don Brown, Jim Harbaugh, you know, you could do the cartwheel on on TikTok, but I understand, you know, you, you don't have to go that way if there's so many, you know, things already. Um, so, you don't have to to do that. But I did, you know, I I saw a, a story that you wrote today, Rich Eisen, uh-huh. and Jim Harbaugh on his show and he was talking about uh, you know, the 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 quarterback competition. I, I thought there was some newsy stuff in there in particular, a thing that jumped out to me that I'm ready to put Dylan McCaffrey in the lead is that, you know, they they've been throwing the football, he said, but you know, McCaffrey's been throwing with his brothers, Christian and Luke in Denver. And I just thought, you know, I, I don't know who Joe, I know he said he's got a bag of footballs and, you know, he's throwing them, but you know, throwing the ball to a, an NFL star like Christian McCaffrey, I, it, it just seems like, I mean, it's always been like that for, for Dylan, I mean, his, with his brothers and his family and everything, but you know that being able to throw to Christian, that's got to be uh, going to be helpful. Well, it's it's interesting because a good friend of mine, David Newton, writes for ESPN, and he uh, he covers the Carolina Panthers and was doing a story on Christian and, and 
how he's staying in shape. And, and he actually got to, to speak to Dylan for the story. And they have a park that's right near their house. And it's pretty secluded. Sometimes there's some passerby to come by and watch them. But, you know, they got their dad, too. How many years in the NFL? Was he was 14, 12, 14 years. Now he's a coach at Northern Colorado. So he, he said, I'm sorry, that, that he takes two quarterbacks, his two sons who are quarterbacks, one's at Nebraska and the other's Dylan. And they, he takes a garbage pail and, and they have to, you know, dump passes into the garbage pail. And, uh, but you're right. I mean, that's, that's tremendous an opportunity <laughs> for Dylan to, those workouts must be, uh, I bet they're really fun to watch. And, and Joe, I mean, the, you know, Devin Gardner posted something on Instagram, oh, I guess a week ago. And, and he's been working a little bit with Joe, I think a couple times a week. Um, I think Devin works with a couple other local quarterbacks and high school quarterbacks and Joe comes by and, uh, his arm looks as strong as ever. So, um, yeah, I think they're all definitely, you know, I think the competition is going to be very close. I really do. I don't think it's a, um, you know, I thought Josh Gaddis made a point a couple weeks ago when, when he did speak to uh, to us, um, that it doesn't matter where you were on the depth chart last year. I mean, they're starting a blank slate and, and, you know, it doesn't matter that Dylan had, um, more playing time. It just doesn't matter. They're going to let this, uh, let this ride and see where the competition goes. And I asked Josh, cause I thought, well, you know, maybe with, with the pandemic, with, with everything that, that we're going through right now, that maybe you, you play two quarterbacks, kind of Drew Henson, um, Tom Brady ish. And cause you got to have two guys ready. You just think, Hey, you know, in case something happens, God forbid. And I think he, he thought I meant playing them both at the same time, which he ruled out <laughs> because that did not go over that well last season, as everyone knows. So well, I, I just think it'll be tough. It'll be a tough competition. Yeah, I think that it, it seemed like last year that was like one of their big surprises to come out of camp and even in that first game. And it was uh, it was hard. It was clumsy. And, you know, they fumbled the ball around. And I'm sure they that wasn't the plan there. But it, it just seemed like that got behind that got them behind the eight ball. So, yeah, putting two guys mm-hmm. out there at the same time, I, I I could see why they would be hesitant to do that. Even though Dylan's, you know, he's a he's a fabulous runner. I, I get wanting yeah. to have him out on the field. Yeah, I agree. He is, he's very quick, but. I mean, you've got guys, you've got to, I mean, why would you sacrifice him out there and just take another hit that he doesn't need to take? And, um, I, I just, yeah, I don't think it went over. It didn't, the plays never really, um, I don't, maybe there was one play that worked last season. I'm trying to think, but it was not really a, a very well-conceived, uh, plan on their part. So I, we're not going to see that apparently, according to Josh Gaddis. Yeah, one play that worked with both of them out there. They they did have some successful plays last year. That's what you're like, just with the two of them out on the field <laughs> right. at the same time. You know, I, I wonder if you've made a, a prediction on on which guy you think ultimately would would win that job. I thought it was interesting just over the the months and weeks here. It's not like I ask everybody, but I, I saw Nick Bumgardner. He made a prediction. It was like right after the season, so it's you know there's been some time, but I don't know you know how much would change since then. And you know he he picked Milton which was a little bit of a surprise to me. And, and he, he pointed to his size and more of his, uh, you know, pro style arm and maybe McCaffrey, uh, the injury bug there. And you have to pick one of them. And then I, I saw a couple of weeks ago, Isaiah Hole, he was just answering some questions and he picked Joe Milton, which also, you know, that was, that jumped out to me. It, and I don't, you know, I don't know if those guys are just flipping a coin. I, I think that they put a little bit more and uh, of thought into it. And I'm sure they do actually. And they're, you know, they're talking with people. So, I wonder, I mean, if you're making a prediction, or are you picking Joe Milton too? Well, right now, I would probably err on the side of, of Dylan McCaffrey and just because of the experience. And, and I know that Josh said that's not going to be a factor, but it's probably a little bit of a factor. And um, I do think he's more mobile than Joe. I think Joe's arm is probably stronger. I think everybody has talked about that a lot. And I think, you know, I think a lot of that buzz right after the season was we talked to Joe at, at the bowl game before the bowl and did not speak to Dylan. And Joe was, you know, he really presented himself very well and and that uh, he's really, you know, he's gung-ho about this. He's this competition and he plans on winning this job. And he said he picked up a lot from Shea Patterson and learned a lot from him. And uh, But I think we still need to see more from Joe Milton to, to know that, that, you know, to crown him the next quarterback. And obviously that's going to take place whenever the season gets started, whenever they can start having warm uh, workouts um, in, in Ann Arbor. But uh, I'm not saying that it's Dylan for sure, but that, that would be <laughs> my gut right now. And But I think the upside, Joe Milton's upside is tremendous. 
but I think Dylan's is too. I mean, I, I thought, you know, a lot of people, they liked what they saw from him, even that first game against Notre Dame a couple seasons ago when he had to come in and he looked pretty unflappable. And, uh, in, in, uh, in South Bend that what season that was 2018. So, um, I don't know. I need to see more from Joe though, to be able to say for sure, but tremendous upside, Dennis, no doubt. But, um, but I, I do think then I think, uh, Dylan does, does too. Yeah, I can remember McCaffrey. You're right about that Notre Dame game. And then against Nebraska, he had like a 70-yard run called back. And then uh, then, he, right. then he threw the ball like 50 yards right, right on the button there. That He looked pretty good there. It's just like he looks like he's got that, you know, that, that special something. And if I know a lot of people that I talk with say, well, you know, he's injury prone because, you know, the two seasons. And I say, mm-hmm. well, if he is 100% and he goes out there and they compete – you're not in your Jim Harbaugh and you see him moving the team better. You're not going to say, well, you know, he's been hurt the last two years, even though he's a hundred percent. Let's go with Joe. Uh, that's not how it works. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I mean, I, it, look, I think, I think this is going to be a really entertaining quarterback competition and, and I'm not ruling out Kate McNamara, but yeah, I am a little bit. I mean, this is a, a to me, it's a two, a two man race for sure. And, and Cade, I, I liked what I saw from Cade at bowl practices too. I think he's going to be good. And then you got JJ McCarthy coming in the next year. And, and I talked to him a couple weeks ago and boy, he sounds like a, you know, he, he's got a lot of personality and, and really he's got a lot of talent, but this is about uh, Dylan and, and Joe. And, and I still think that there's room to play both of them at least early. I mean, especially because Jim Harbaugh said last July that he wants to play both guys, Shay and Dylan. So I, you know, that's not how it played out, but it's certainly something with a with not with not having spring practice and having a shortened whatever this is going to be, uh, and maybe it will be the normal amount of time to prepare for a season. But still, you don't have that spring practice, and that's really valuable time. I don't. I think why not? Why not get both of them ready and and have them both play at least early. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't rule anything out. I'm, I'm, I know you've just talked about McNamara, but a couple of years ago, they they probably should have gone with Peters. They they could have even gone mm-hmm. with Dylan McCaffrey, and that might have mm-hmm. been the the right move uh, a few years ago. But I think the one thing, and you know, I'm no expert, but you know, Josh Gaddis, midway through the season, maybe the second half against Penn State, it just seemed like the offense I don't know, started clicking there at that point. It just looked good, and the one thing that whoever the quarterback is, it just seems like. They just need to get the ball to these receivers more. Like, I don't know, force it to them, force feed these these wideouts, and whoever can get the ball to them, you know, they've got some talent there. It seems like they were missing a little bit of that uh, that downfield element. And, you know, if one of these guys has it, that seems like with this Gaddis offense, um, you know, this this thing could work. It, 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 you saw some of that last year. You did, and and I agree. And and there were times the receivers dropped passes too. I mean, to be fair, it wasn't it wasn't all uh, one side, but um, yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of talent in the receiver core, and I know that you know Gaddis is saying that they don't have enough guys on on uh, scholarship. It, they're a little bit, they're not as deep as they'd like to be, but I think that there's some real talent there. And starting with Nico Collins, and he's a guy they have to target a lot. And and don't forget that tight ends are really talented. I mean, Nick Eubanks is a guy who I think should have a big year. And um, and then you got Ronnie Bell, and then you got those freshmen last year who really impressed people, and and Sandra Still and um, CJ and and Giles Jackson. I mean, there are a lot. There's a lot of talent there, and you know, you think you got Chris Evans back in the backfield, and he's a guy who who can be effective as a as a receiver out of the backfield. So there are a lot of options, but yeah, I mean, getting that downfield threat, I, I think that you got two quarterbacks who are capable of making those throws, and I think you do have receivers who are capable of making those catches, and I, I think with a second year in this Josh Gaddis offense that, that you're going to see it clicking even more, because I, I agree with you, Dennis. I thought there, there were a lot of signs, uh, positive signs for the offense in, in that last quarter of the season. Um, it looked like they were getting things together, and yeah, there were drops. Yes, there were missed throws. That, that happens. But I, I think it was starting to come together, and, and um, again, it's too bad they have they they couldn't get spring ball in to, to keep that continuity going. But that's going to be the uh, that's definitely the challenge going forward. Now is I you know you can only do so much on Zoom meetings and talking to these guys. You know they got to be hands on with them in practice, and and that'll be really uh, interesting to see how that goes once they do get back. Yeah, I don't know how far they are behind with some of the on field stuff. I know they can you know kind of. 
you know, get into the you know, classrooms and meetings, well, classrooms, uh, you know, via the Zoom, but how much on-field stuff they were able to do. I mean, if, if they are by June 12th able to get out there and, and maybe, you know, get into a facility and then work with some of their teammates, it didn't seem like that would be, you know, that far behind. Well, and, and Harbaugh today on that, that Eisen interview, you know, we haven't had a chance to talk to Harbaugh. We haven't, I haven't seen, talked to Jim Harbaugh since the end of January uh, up in Lansing at the Michigan High School Coaches Clinic. So um, he's making the rounds on national shows to talk a little bit about his proposal that he penned a, a couple weeks ago. But he did say, um, he said it sounded like the NCAA was going to make the mandatory workouts would start July 1st. Mm. So, um there, they'll have a little bit of wiggle room if if it's lifted on June 12th, they can get some of those guys back, and then um, I would imagine by then they'll get they'll get most of the team back by July 1st if, if those if, if that date's correct. If that, and then he said he's been on um, calls once a week with all the head coaches, Big Ten head coaches and athletic directors, and then um, the commissioner, and they have a couple doctors on there who who discuss what's going on. So I think it is it's so fluid. And, uh, but you know, they have to wait and see what happens in Michigan with the governor before they can go ahead and do anything. Right. I said June 12th, that's when it's supposed to open up Michigan. Yeah, well, right. July 1st was uh, across the country. Is that, is yeah, that what that's, okay. what he said. that's what he said. The NCA said. Okay. Well, that it, it's good to have, you know, these dates and, uh, I do get a little tired of, you know, the daily and I'm right with it, you know, speculation and, you know, <laughs> you know, it, it's going to happen. Feel optimistic. Don't feel optimistic and all that. Well, I have two, you know, quick questions for you here at the end. Uh, and I, I, I heard a little uh, Jim Harbaugh, like at least read some of his quotes this week about, you know, uh, Ohio State and, you know, it, it, it's making him upset or he's motivated every day to beat him. And nothing's making him angrier and all, all that's good. And I don't think anybody's picking you know, Michigan over Ohio State, at least, you know, going into the season. I, I don't know how you can, but does it seem fair that in the, the Big Ten East that, you know, they, whether it's Penn State, Michigan, I mean, they, they would be right there fighting for second place. I mean, that that's what seems like a, an optimistic view. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I mean, I it's, it's hard to say what Michigan's going to look like offensively. I mean, you know, we haven't even talked about the fact they've got to replace four starters on the offensive line. To me, that's bigger than figuring out who the quarterback is going to be because I, I think that we have a good idea about both quarterbacks and how effective they might be. But they got to replace four guys, and, and that's that's pretty tall task. Mm. But um, yeah, I mean, I think right now it would be really hard to to, to pick Michigan winning in Columbus, but. Um, yeah, he's been saying all the right things about that game and, and a little bit more than he usually does. And I'm sure he gets frustrated at everybody talking about it and suggesting that maybe they don't put enough attention uh, on that game and blah, blah, blah. And, and you hear these guys, now, some of the guys at the Combine saying, you know, they do practice every day for Ohio State. Yeah, they focus on Ohio State a lot. But um, that obviously haven't gotten over the hump. And, and I know it's easy to sit there and talk about, you know, Dennis the – the recruiting and though they got X number of five stars and Michigan only has so many, but I mean, I think Michigan's got talent too. So it's just about developing and, and, and getting this, getting them over this mental block. Cause I think there's part of that at play here too. Ooh. Yeah. Well, you know what? You just answered the, the final question there. If you were putting your finger on whatever it was, I've, I've talked about not just in the Harbaugh era, but going all the way back here in the 21st century, you just go to the, you know, the quarterbacks and they've definitely, been outplayed there, but yeah, the the talent, the Michigan's getting good talent, but you just look at Ohio State, they just they're hauling them in just a little mm-hmm. bit better. But yeah, developing them, uh, a mental block, you know, all of those things there, and uh, whatever it is, so like I don't know, I, you see Don Brown a lot more than than I do, but but last year when when I asked him about you know adjustments and he was saying, we're going to be more aggressive. And I thought, well, that's not what I wanted to hear. I don't know if he was messing with me or, you know, if he if he's one that, you know, kind of at, at news conferences is, is one to, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, go to the well there and, and you know, talk one way, but, you know, it's actually X and O in it a different way. You know, Don is, it's fun. He gets, he, he gets prickly when you bring up, if something, <laughs> if anyone's critical of him and, and it's fun to watch his reaction because he's been doing this a long time, Dennis, right? And, and he knows what he's doing. And, and I just don't think people like to, some people don't want to hear the criticism and, you know, I'm going back to Nantucket. I'm going back to <laughs> Nantucket if it doesn't work out. Or I was like, oh, okay. Well, I think he responded a little bit to it last year. They made some adjustments and, um, 
you know, what killed them the season before. Everybody knows the the crossing routes. And, you know, again, but they, they, but they still got beaten up in that last game. So, um, you know, there is something. And, and he'll point to, you know, he'll say he said it this, uh, this most recent um, press conference we had. And he said it last year, too, after the 62-39 game that, you know, it's all on him. It's, it's his fault. And, um, and, and rightfully so, the coach should take the blame. But, um, you know, they just – they have to do something, and I don't know what it is. If I knew, then I guess I'd be making a million dollars as a defensive coordinator, and uh, sadly, I'm not. But, um, you know, going back to the mental block thing, I, I used to laugh way back, you know, when they had the 10-2-1 the advantage over the Cooper years, and those are some really good Ohio State teams. And I remember Marcus Ray saying that they were in Ohio State's head, and I thought, well, maybe there is something to it, and, and maybe that's what's been going on now. But that doesn't explain giving up it wasn't 62 points up to, I don't, I, I'm not going to do the math, but because they gave up a punt return turn for a touchdown in Columbus. Yeah. Um, and team, but you know, you can't give up that many points and it's just, and, and chalk it up to a mental block. So, um, I, you know, I think that they're obviously all very happy with Don Brown and, and the defense and, and look at all the guys who are going to the NFL and, and all that, but it still matters what they do against Ohio state. And, and they haven't showed, showed very well the last two years, obviously. No, my two cents, more cartwheels from Brown. I think that could get it done. So that's what I'll look for. Well, Those were really bad. <laughs> well, you know, I, I can't – I haven't tried – I don't think I've ever tried to do a cartwheel, so I don't know what it would look like if I did. So. You know what? Maybe that should be your new online thing, the cartwheel challenge, and get people and start raising money for something. I'll tell you what. In July, I'll do a cartwheel and I'll I'll put it on video and I'll tag you. But so that gives me a little bit over a month to work on it. Practice, okay. I want to do a little practice, but I I will. I'll follow through on that. Well, Angelique, you know, I I want to say earlier this week, very good info from Chris Hutchinson, the the former Wolverine, whose son Aiden plays at Michigan, on just how hospitals would be better prepared and equipped for a a second wave. Something I hadn't considered. The testing costs. Something I wasn't aware of. So there was. Very good information. I, I really enjoyed that. So I'll just well, point that I out. Well, I talked to Chris. Well, I mean, I talked to him two months ago, right, as, as kind of the onset of the pandemic. And, you know, here's a guy right on the front line, ER doctor at the busiest hospital in, in Michigan at, at Royal Oak Beaumont. And, boy, it was such a different uh, tenor to the conversation. He sounded more upbeat two months later. I mean, two months ago, he's like, look, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And and kept stressing that. And, and now, I, I mean, he feels like, Look, everybody's got to wear masks, and people still need to practice social distancing, but there's definitely a flattening of the curve, and he feels confident that the uh, the second wave won't be as vicious as maybe first thought, again, as long as people wear masks. And I asked him if he would feel comfortable if Aiden plays football, and he right away said, absolutely, 100%. And, um, you know, th- there's all sorts of things they need to, to examine, you know, yeah. As one person told me about a couple weeks ago, the locker rooms, football locker rooms, are like human petri dishes. So they, there's so much they have to take into into account, Dennis, and forget getting fans in the stadium. I mean, that's, I think, the last thing on their list, but making it safe for the players and, and especially coaches because some of those guys are not young men. And, um, you know, the, the, they have found that the virus affects older people more, obviously. So there's a lot of things that have to fall into place, but, I, I you know, they've got – a hundred days, maybe it's now just under a hundred days till the, the anticipated start of the season. So that's actually a lot of time, I think, to figure out all these things. And then that's what Chris was trying to emphasize that, that there's still a lot of time. And, and now they're going to have a little bit of a blueprint perhaps from, from the NFL and see what's worked for them and, and maybe what hasn't worked and, and they can go from there. But he felt comfortable with Aiden playing. Yeah, I thought it was an excellent perspective. Uh, I enjoyed it. And really good info, like I said. Well, Angelique, you always give good info, you know, when whatever you do. Oh, so I, I like thanks. that part. Uh, I sure do appreciate you <laughs> spending a few minutes here. I, I hope you, you know, I, I can't believe you haven't seen Jim Harbaugh, you know, for that long. So <laughs> hopefully he does jump okay. on a Zoom, you know, sooner than later and get on there and, and you know, fire some of those questions at him. Uh, I, I hope to be there and watch that. Well, I just said at least before the start of the season. I can wait till then. That's okay. <laughs> That's right. Okay. <laughs> well, hey, uh, thanks for your time, and, uh, you know, stay safe. Like, Thanks, Dennis. You stay safe, too, and uh, I appreciate uh, being on your podcast. I really do. 
Well, I'm, I'm expecting the best numbers uh, yet with you being on here. So we'll see. Sure. And, sure. I'll, and I'll have that video out to you the 1st of July. <laughs> that I can't wait for. All I right. mean, that, yeah, I'm counting on it. I'm not going to forget this. No, I know you won't. So it's going to be there. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Thanks, Angelique. All the best. Thanks, Dennis. Take care. There she is, Angelique Shengelis from the Detroit News, podcaster, Twitter. Do it all. There And the Instagram photo is one that I do look forward to. I, I think she probably puts it on Twitter as well. I've seen it on Instagram. Now she's the first one, one of the first, I'll say first, to get to the press box. And then the last one to leave there. And as the sun goes down, she takes a picture. And it's like, hey, it feels like the, the day's complete. So, you know, I, I look forward. Hopefully I do get to see that. I don't know if there's going to be. I don't know if there's going to be football or if there's going to be fans. I don't know if there's going to be media in the press box. Maybe there'll be football with no fans and and no media. We'll be reporting on it from uh, our homes. Uh, That seems to be a pretty good guess, actually, uh, right now. Well, coming up momentarily, talk with with Ryan Woolley. Let me give you some of the, the headlines here. Just in Detroit sports, I wanted to give you some opinions on one. Steve Eisenman saying that he's uh, making no plans or has no plans on making a coaching change at this time with Jeff Blasio. And I know that came as a, a shock to a lot of people. And you know what? It, it came as a, a surprise slash shock to me for a couple reasons. One is there's just so many coaches that were fired last year in the NHL and the Red Wings were so bad last year. And then you add in Gerard Gallant, the former Red Wing and Iserman friend, who had uh, so much success there in in Vegas with the Golden Knights, it was really easy to connect the dots. So I, I don't know what if if Gallant just is is done and and is not ready to come in or or, or how that factored in. But but here's the one thing about Steve Eiserman. You know they had their third worst season in 93 years you know, last year, and you know with Gallant sitting out there, but. You know, Eiserman signed Valtteri Filippo out of the gate, and it was like, that was kind of a questionable signing looking at it. He picked Mo Sider when nobody was looking at Mo Sider where the Red Wings selecting with his first pick in the first round last year. And now he brings back Blasio. You know, he's, he's made a couple moves where you, you look last year, Fabry, that was a good move, but and they need a goalie. But the one part, here's Eiserman. He's doing things like if, if you wanted him to do everything by the book or the computer, well, he wouldn't have made any of these moves. And there's a side to this that I like. He's he's not doing anything, everything conventional or or you know what the you know you would say the the popular moves would be. He's doing the opposite of that. And you know what? With cider, you don't hear many people going back and saying, "Oh, that was a horrendous pick" or anything. In fact, they're saying the opposite. So, you know, Eiserman's doing a little zigging while you know everybody else wants him to zag. And you know, I'm all right with that. And with a coach. You know what? You can make a move on a coach anytime, and I don't think the Wings now they need to start ascending. I don't think anybody's thinking that they're uh, you know going to be you know competing for a Stanley Cup next year. They better be ascending. And if you know they get off to a slow start, you can always make the move then. So I thought that was interesting. The other thing, Pistons looking for a GM to help Ed Stefanski, their senior advisor. And you know what? A, a couple years ago, I I thought you know Chauncey Billups just. Uh, just interacting with Chauncey over the years, the professionalism, just the people person that he is, doesn't mean he'd make a great GM. I know the Cavs were making overtures a couple of years ago, but you know they could do worse than Mr. Big Shot. I know Tayshawn Prince's name has been thrown around a little bit. Former Piston, pick, first rounder, been in the Memphis front office. But, you know, to me, out of the known names here, Shane Battier. Shane Battier has been down there on the cutting edge with Miami and the analytics you just know what kind of uh, presence uh, that that Battier has, and the kind of mind. You know, he's a smart kid, and it, it just to me that's the that's the gut fit for me would be Shane Battier. And oh yeah, MLB, uh, the impasse, the players uh, and uh, the owners digging in here. Uh, hey, open the books. They have a responsibility for the good of the country here uh, to get this done. Become partners. Find a mediator. And find a way. You know, I'm not sticking up for either the, the big guy or the, they're all big guys. They need to find a way, of course, to uh, to get that done. So that's where I'm at with the baseball impasse. All right. I mentioned uh, Ryan Woolley 
And we're going to call him and get him on this podcast right now. I dial him up. Angelique's already beat him. One ring. Hello. Ryan? Yes, sir. Ryan Woolley on the podcast here. How are you? Good, man. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Longtime uh, colleague of mine, CBS Radio, play-by-play updates. And, you know, now, uh, you know, here we are in a, in a pandemic. Uh, how's the family? How are you hanging in there? Uh, family is good. It's, it's certainly a challenging time for us, like everybody else, but uh, hanging in there. Uh, counting the days now, the third baby set to arrive here in July. So uh, the wife's pretty uncomfortable, um, you know, so she's trying to work and get through all that because she's also a nurse so she's battling not only the pandemic on the front line but uh also trying to stay healthy for the baby here on the back side wait a second now so third baby uh or third third, third child and then so your wife is still working as a nurse and uh, i thought she would be ready to you know take some time off and, and bring this next kid in well she is i mean once once she arrived so uh the baby like i said uh that's to be born july 9th that'd be a scheduled c-section or repeat c-section um, you know, unless she decides to come earlier than that. But, yeah, unfortunately, you can't take much more time off because if you do, then you lose it after the baby's born. Uh, so she can't go on maternity leave as long as she wants because she'll get the uh, the 12 weeks, you know, through her employer, and then she'll be back after that. Well, I haven't considered it, but I'm going to go ahead and, and consider it now. I'm going to go and make a prediction for July 4th. That would be that would be nice for me. It would be nice for you too. You know, holiday baby, July Fourth, Independence Day. How about it? What yep. do you think? I'm all for it. You know, it's actually funny because when we told the kids originally uh, that we were expecting another baby, um, my little girl who's eight, she was all excited. My little boy who's five was like, "No!" But then when we told them, you know, the baby is coming in July, uh, we're like, "Hey, what happens in July?" And my little guy speaks up, "Fireworks! Right. What better fireworks than you know having another baby?" No, no, that that is fireworks. Uh, my my niece has just had her second, and it's uh, it's a blessing. But man, a, a lot of work there. You'll be ready for that. Well, you know, we'll, a lot of work. You know, a week from today, it'll have been for me, and I, I think you as well. Maybe exactly. You know, the last two months. You know, there's a lot of. Uh, you know, a lot of people that have been uprooted and, and you and I know that. And, you know, people keep asking me like, hey, when are you getting into radio or whatever else? When are you getting back in there? And, you know, when we sit here and I don't know if you sit there every day and and, and look at what's happening in sports or just what's happening in, in the world here. It's like there's a there's so much uncertainty. It's not like uh, there's a lot of uh, just in the, like the radio business. It's uh, whether it's a hiring freeze or just, you know, the it's a difficult time, you know, right now for sure. It really is. And then, you know, I try to remind myself of that um, because certainly when, when the call came, you know, I woke up to a text message basically uh, asking me to get on a conference call. And uh, that's when the news was, was delivered to me. And, and they admitted, you know, this is a crappy way of doing it. Um, you know, having to be, you know, on a, a conference call, FaceTime, whatever you want to say. Um, but the, the thing that I made sure I specifically asked was, you know, was it performance based? Was it something I did or didn't do? They said, no, a month ago we weren't having these conversations. It's just there's no sports right now. We don't know when sports is coming back. And unfortunately, we have to make some cuts. And um, so, I mean, certainly I'm, I'm upset about it. I mean, I would like to have my job. I love working with you and other guys at the station. Uh, but I, I understand why they did what they did, and I'm hoping when you know this all you know passes, whether it be back where we used to work or if it's you know a different place of employment, you know I'm certainly open uh, to to anything. But uh, you know every day every day is a challenge. You know you just try to stay busy and, and do do what you can. And I don't know about you, but unemployment certainly uh, is, is kind of hard to get a hold of to get all that squared away. So uh, that's been another challenge as well. Yeah, that's not working so well for me. The unemployment <laughs> thing there—it uh, it is tough. Yeah, well, you know what? You're a you're a, you're a fine broadcaster. It's really good that the job that you did there, and you know, it's one of those things where when, when people listen to you, it's like you were you were doing updates at the top and the bottom over on the on the ticket bottom of the hour, but then on the at fifteen and forty five, you'd be on WWJ and. Say so, yeah, every fifteen minutes. But man, you you do one and you're you're at seventeen, 
and then <laughs> you've got to pretty quickly get ready. I mean, it's only a, about a minute walk over to the other studio, but you got to be ready to deliver another one. And the one thing about it is uh, that I was impressed over the years, Ryan. Like, I'm talking right now, and you do a talk show. You know, you can stumble, you can fumble, but you really can't do that when you're doing an update. And, and man, you didn't, you, you got pretty good at that. Not a lot of stumbling, not a lot of fumbling. Well, and, and I mean, obviously the repetition helps. And I mean, you go back to when I first started with you, um, you know, they put me on. So I, I interned in 06 and then I got hired uh, after I graduated in 07. And I was an overnight board op for about five months before they flipped AM 1270 to 97.1. And that's you know, uh, when they put, you know, Pat 6 to 10 and then you 10 to 2. And, and we used to have a lot of fun times uh, doing those shows and the updates. And, you know, the updates have certainly changed over the years. And I'm sure you remember uh, one of the ones we always, talk about is uh, we'd, we'd have some kind of a lead into an update to grab their their attention span, right? So yeah. uh, getting silly with Jason Greeley, that's what we always you know, kind of point to, or you know, when uh, the Rockies were, were doing their run, you know, the Coors Fields are rocking out there in Colorado. That you know, the update. So, um, yeah, certainly, I mean, I made mistakes, but you just you cover your tracks, right? You just continue to move on, or you, you try, try to correct it. You know, there's been times when you go to play the audio, and the audio doesn't fire, or you put the wrong cut in, you didn't realize it. But uh, to do 24 updates a day, it, it was a challenge only because you wanted to be entertaining and informative at the same time. And so you wanted to change it up, have different lead-ins, different sound bites. And if somebody listened to you at 1 o'clock on the ticket and then flipped over to WWJ at 1.15, you didn't want to have the exact same update even though the information's the same. So I would write, you know, three to four updates per station and then rotate them. So if you heard an update, you know, with Doug and Gator at one o'clock, you wouldn't hear that same update again, at least that same style until four o'clock on Bellini show. And you just kind of rotate them. I'm going to tell you what, there was a guy who was there. He was there before you and he could over a four hour period, he would have one script that he wrote and <laughs> he would sit there in, in, I don't know, he'd be on his phone or whatever else, but he would get out of there and he would deliver that update and then he would walk over and he would deliver that exact same one. And then at the bottom of the hour, it was the, and it was just, uh, and he had a great voice and I don't know how many people ever caught on to it, but man, it was like, wow, th this is just the same one over and over again. So yeah, that's, that's tough to do. I think yeah. uh, for, for broadcasting. And if you have people that are listening a lot, if they have a lot of time spent listening, they're like, Hey, this is the exact same thing I just heard. Hey, well, even for your sanity, right? I mean, like I said, the information may not change. I mean, if you're previewing the Tigers or the Red Wings game that night, I mean, you can do different leads, you know, for the game. You can use different sound bites. But, I mean, again, you, to do the same update 24 times, that would drive me crazy. And so that's why I always try to have a different lead-in, different sound, um, you know, and then close it out a different way. And then, of course, on Bellini Show, you never knew what Mike might do during the update. You know, buzz you, hang up on you, tackle you. Um, had a lot of fun over the years uh, with him. So, um, you know, it was just, it was, it was an enjoyable job. Yeah, and you got to be ready. Like, you can have your, your template there for a Tigers game and a Pistons and Red Wings, but two minutes before, if something goes down, you have to decide how to work that in there off the top of your head or anything else. I got a quick story about that when, when Sonny Elliott, you know, the, the legendary broadcaster, weatherman, when he worked at WWJ, was doing the World Series, they had me doing some updates there in, in 2006, and I came in and, I was a little intimidated. I don't know, intimidated. I was such a big fan of Sonny Elliott. You know, I didn't want to, I just wanted to work and, you know, kind of stay away. I wasn't like, hey, I'm a huge fan, Sonny, or anything. So when I sat in there, like, here's Sonny Elliott, you know, swearing and, you know, asking me <laughs> questions. And then he says, are you, are you, are you leading with the weather? And I wasn't. And I said, you know, and I, you know, he's a legendary weatherman. So I just laughed it off, you know, and, and did the update. And when I came back in there a half hour later, he really got right into my, kind of like in my face. He's like, hey, are you going to blink and leave with the weather this time? And then I was like, you know what? I led with the weather. But, you know, guess what? The game got rained out. I think it was game three, game four, whatever it was. I mean, he was on top of it. I mean, he was giving me actually some, he wasn't just, you know, being a jerk or even trying to be funny. Right. I mean, he was giving me the, the real advice there, man. Hey, the, the weather is the most important thing here. Lead with it. But an old weatherman and a not a, a young broadcaster at that point, but – you know, I was like, man, Sonny Elliott, he was uh, he was telling me something that I should have followed. Well, that's the thing. And, and you'll find, and as you know, I mean, over the years, I mean, sometimes you'll do jobs um, that maybe they don't guide you in a certain way to do them, and you got to learn on the spot. And, I mean, that would have been one of them, right? I mean, the, the weather was the story within the story. I mean, the story was the Tigers in the World Series, but if the game's going to be postponed, 
people want to know that. And, you know, we've had that before, you know, for day games, you know, hey, you know, we don't know when it's going to start, but, you know, stay with us. We'll be updated as, as the day goes on. And you mentioned about, you know, the one guy that kept the same script over and over. I mean, what you start with throughout the day, because my, my shift was 11 to 7. So my first update on WWJ was 12 to 15. So what I started at 12 to 15 was typically not ever what I ended with because the news changes throughout the day. Breaking news may happen, and then you want to start local first and then branch out national. But when you branch out, you want to make sure it's entertaining enough that people want to know about it. You're not just throwing national stories in to fill time. Yeah, and you also want to listen to some of those sound bites there and, and not just the cliched ones that are saying, well, we're just taking this one one game at a time. But, you know, you'll have different audio all throughout the day that you want to want to put in there. You were big on that. I was. You know, and the, that's the thing. You, Twitter's been great, right? I mean, it's a great resource for information. Of course, it can lead you down a rabbit hole of different things. But, you know, if uh, Colin Cowherd said something about Jim Harbaugh, you know in this town that's going to be a lightning rod of conversation. And there's, I can't tell you how many times, like, I'll hear something, and I'm like, oh, you know, that's, that's great for the update, and then I'll play it, and then all of a sudden you'll hear a host run with it right after you play it. And, you know, that, that's good for the business, not saying, you know, I'm leading them in that way, but if I'm playing it, and then, you know, or one of our Detroit hosts here, and he's like, well, that's a good topic, and then they, you know, branch off with it, well, then you're doing your job even more. Yeah, well, stand on top of it. That's certainly something. Well, there were two things, Wooly, that I think that I, I brought you along, and I'm going to say there were, there were mistakes on your part. So let's get to them. One was, you know, uh, you were working there and doing some updates when I was working with Pat. And, you know, Pat, you know, back in the day would frequently say, hey, you guys want some pizza? And I'd say, mm-hmm. Yeah, we would say, yeah. But then there would be a couple times like, you know, well, you, no, like you brought something in and I, I, I wanted to, you know, take you outside. And, and I think I did the one time I said, look, here's the thing. When Pat asks you if you want a pizza, you say yes every time. And yep. then he gets one. Not this no, I, I brought my uh, I brought a salad. I think the one you, know, you said. Then my <laughs> wife did. packed me a salad or something, and I was like, "Oh, look at my wife!" But yeah, no, I, I was I was on a weight loss kick, and look, most times people ask me what what are what is Pat like and what is Valenia like whenever they heard that I worked at the station, and and I tell everybody the same thing: they both have a heart of gold. And as you said, Pat would buy you pizza every night if you truly wanted it, and you know Pat would randomly ask us. But yeah, that one night, you know, I had. You know, either started my diet or was in the middle of my diet. I'm like, no, Pat, I'm pretty good. I'm eight. And if, you know, looks could kill, you would have shot laser beams right through me. And, yeah, we had a conversation out uh, in the hallway. It's like, you know, Pat offers to buy pizza. Say yes whether you want it or not because I want it. And then uh, I don't know if you're going to get to the other one, but uh, with food, I, I, uh, I ordered a pizza with ham on it. It nearly exploded as well. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think ham's a little bit overrated, you know, in general. But on pizza, you know, sometimes uh, – you know, a, a pineapple pit, but for the most part, you know, no ham, you know, and I told you that, but then you would still roll in and go with the ham, but you know, you must really like ham on pizza, right? I don't mind. I don't mind. Pepperoni's fine, but sometimes I like to change it up, do a little ham bacon, mm. but, uh, but yeah, with, with Pat, we would get the breadsticks and the pop too. And I mean, he, he, he hooked us up. So we had, we had a good time at night. Yeah. Well, the one thing, you know, we both like sports and everything. We both went to EMU, but we don't have the same uh, taste when it comes down to pizza because, there was uh, there was one that was close. I forget the name of it. Uh, you probably are we remember. allowed to say it? I, yeah, I go know ahead. What it is. Go ahead. Uh, tomatoes. Yeah, tomatoes. Like I love tomatoes pizza. Like I think it's great, and and you hate it. I, I don't like it. And I, the reason I don't like it is because it's too thin. Like you got to put four or five pieces together just to you know get enough dough in your mouth uh, to actually enjoy a piece of pizza. And that's not knocking the place. I know a lot of people um, like it, and a lot of people at the, at the station like it because they order it all the time. But it was just we got it one night. And I'm like, yeah, this never again. Yeah, I find that it's great, absolutely great. So you don't, you can, you can knock it all you want, Willie. They'll listen, and uh, I don't think you're you're cutting them out as a potential sponsor for this podcast or anything. Uh, I'm hey, right you never there know. With you know, with what's going on, you never know. So. Well, there's one thing. They're not going to be sending you any gift certificates or anything, or I'm not going to be sending <laughs> right. you any gift certificates from tomatoes. That's for sure. But I, I will take those for myself. Well, the other, you know, and this is my favorite story, and this actually, this happened to me as well. I can remember my first game in a press box at Michigan. You you sit there, and you know, people say, you know, like, you know, you, you hear the announcement in the press box at Michigan. They'd say there's no cheering in the press box. And then you just have all the media and they're all just sitting there and you're watching a game. And then like, there's an exciting play that happens, you know, here's a 60 yard touchdown or something. And you, you feel like you want to jump up. Like, cause you're, 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 that's what you've done your whole life, whether you're been in the stands or whether you're 
and are watching a game on TV, and mm-hmm. it is just a reaction. And so the first game, what did you, 2006, 2007, we went to a Lions game, right? First first time as yep. a member of the media, right? Yeah, we've been out seven. Yeah, 07. John Kitten was the quarterback. So I thought, you know, being the the experienced uh, member of the media that I would tell you, like, I only have one thing to, to tell you, Ryan, like, what's going to happen here is there's going to be a play that you like or that you don't like, and your inclination is going to be to, to cheer or boo or, or you, know, you know, it's really that that's what happens. And you didn't – it didn't seem like you were taking me seriously. Like, I got it. Or, you know, I'm – okay, I'm listening. Well, then, you know, John Kitna – He's he's back in the pocket, and whatever man his he 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 didn't know that internal clock or whatever, and you jump up out of your seat and you yell, you know, get rid of it. Is that is that how you remember the story going? No, but the the story you know it, it falls along those tales of a fisherman who talk about you know, the fish that got away, and then it just kind of morphed into a story and how big the fish was. Eventually, they ended up in the belly of the fish, and then they were stood back up. But along the lines of what you're saying are pretty accurate. But uh, I didn't stand up. I didn't yell. I didn't smack smack the tables. I've heard you say a couple times. I did. <laughs> I did maybe say get rid of it. Uh, maybe a little louder than I should have. But uh, you know. It, but like you said, it's an adjustment period. So you know, you you go from being a fan to a member of the media, and yeah, you're sitting around people that have been doing this for many many years. And here I am, you know, fresh out of college, uh, a couple months. You know, I grew up a huge Lions fan, and you're sitting in the press box watching it. And so, yeah, uh, it, was, it was a learning experience, but it's been a fun, fun little joke between you and I for, for many, many years now. Yeah, well, I'll tell that one to the day I die. Now, <laughs> you know, speaking of you know getting out of college, you know, you you get a couple jobs, and you know, I'll say, you know, two of the three, you know, they're the hard fields to get into. But then, an additional job that you had was was DJing at at weddings and. You know, if we were sitting around three months ago and talking about, you know, the viability of the, you know, the future of, of being a DJ at weddings, I don't think anybody would say, oh, you know what, um, you know, that's going to fall apart. You know, that's they're like, it was, it's, that seemed like a very secure type business that there would always be a, a job for. And yet here we are, man, that, that's got to be out of everything like radio that happens. You know, it happens. You know, the pandemic, of course, you know, forced the, the hand and everything that we already talked about. But but weddings, man, nobody saw that coming. No, it, it, it's a double hit for me. So, yeah, I lost my radio job, and then I run my own DJ company, uh, Mammoth Entertainment, playing off the last name of Wooly, so Wooly Mammoth. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I've been DJing since 2008 um, on the road for weddings, red parties, corporate events. I started with another company, worked with them for about five or six years, then opened up my own company in 2013. And I do 25 to 30 events a year, and mostly are weddings, and, you know, this with the pandemic going on, everything's been postponed or canceled this year up through September. Um, there's one hanging on for July. They're hoping maybe to do a small ceremony and then uh, like a mini reception in their backyard. If you know, the restrictions are lifted up to 50 people, but we're just kind of waiting that one out. But yeah, it's just one of those, what are weddings going to look like moving forward? And I, I've said this to my wife and other people that have asked me about it. Would you want to go to a wedding knowing you have to wear a face mask? Number one, uh, number two, how do you social distance dancing? And the number three, our reception is going to be what we've always known, which is, you know, the cocktail hour, dinner, and then dancing, or it will end up being just the ceremony, dinner, and maybe their first dances, and that's the end of the night. Because with what's going on and how long it's going to take to, to go away, a lot of things are going to change. And I feel so bad for all these brides and grooms, and I reached out to every one of my clients and told them, I said, look, typically I have a no-refund uh, uh, deposit policy, I said, but that's out the window. I said, if you got to rebook and, you know, I'm not available, certainly you can have your money back. Um, I want to do your wedding if possible next year. Or if you have to cancel, you know, I'll have no no issues refunding your deposit. So, um, you know, I feel bad for all these people. Yeah, you know, I don't see any any of the, like, what you're talking about, how the weddings would have to go. Maybe outside, you know, this particular summer. But, you know, so the, the hope would be maybe by next spring things would be, you know, I don't think it's ever going to be the same, but, you know, back where, you know, maybe I don't have to wear a mask. Maybe, you know, there can right. be some dancing. You know, maybe we won't by I'm talking about like next year at this time, you know, the you know or a little bit earlier. Maybe we'll be back where we don't have to have those things in place. I hope not. And then, like I said, some of the brides have already postponed till next year. Some have postponed till the fall, and they're just kind of waiting out then. And if, if it does continue in the fall, 
you know, that's more what I'm saying. Like, well, will they have to wear a face mask to be in line for the bar? Will you have to not have dancing or can you socially distance dancing on the dance floor? Because as a DJ, obviously all eyes are on you. If the dance floor is not full. I mean, it's your job to entertain and impact the floor. So are people going to be apprehensive to get out there? And the other thing too, Dennis, that a lot of people aren't thinking about is does that limit who you invite? Like, will your, you know, your grandmothers and grand, uh, grandfathers, maybe mm. your older aunts and uncles, will they not come because, you know, they don't want to be exposed to anything. Yep. All things that uh, I hadn't considered. I was going to ask you, uh, so how many weddings do you think you've done over the years? So since 2008, you've probably done a couple hundred, huh? Hundred? Oh, more than that. No, oh. I'm, I'm in a thousand. Um, I, I factored, I'm trying to remember. I, I did this a couple of years ago just to try to see where I was at, but um, event like total events, I was upwards of like three thousand events. Wow. But weddings were were I think approaching two thousand um, over the years because it wasn't just my company that I was working with. I was working with another company, and you know most times you do twenty five to thirty a year. Sometimes you do more, and uh, you know then before that I was DJing at a roller skating rink. So you know it's it's been a fun ride. Sweet roller skating rink. So what was it? Hey, coming up next, Journey. What's going out there? <laughs> Is that what you were doing? Yeah, the fun- the fun thing about the roller skating rink is, I mean, I, I didn't play like radio disc jockey type playing and coming up next, but like, you know, it allowed me to find my voice, get comfortable behind a microphone. And you play the games, the four corners, red light, green light, all that stuff. And how I actually got the job was I was at a uh, 30th birthday party at Skateland West and Westland. And they were doing red light, green light. I'm like, what the heck? I'll try it. So I went out there and got all over the DJ booth and lost. And uh, when I was over there, I'm like, hey, you know, kind of looking for a job curious if you guys are hiring he's like actually we're looking for a dj so they gave me an application that night filled it out brought it back the next day following the day after that had an interview got hired his first job paid me 10 bucks an hour i like it man i used to go back in the day to i think riverside is what it was called i think that place is still there on ann arbor trail i this is one thing i wanted to ask you about uh, going back to the weddings uh would you have if they had you on camera. Would you have a kind of blooper reel? Like, did you ever butcher the 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 uh, the wedding party? Uh, not the wedding party. Um, you know, like there's been a couple times where I've almost flipped on the last name because um, I have my papers with me, so I always make sure I'm kind of glancing down. But you know, sometimes if you're doing a back to back wedding, you know, you, you might you might get a bride or a groom mixed up in your head. Yeah. Um, or like if you have friends, you know, that, you know, it's like Jeff and Joanne, just for example, like if, if that's your friends and then there's a, uh, you know, Jeff and, and Joanne getting married or a Jeff, Jeff and Annie, you know, it's it just, you might slip and put the wrong name in. Uh, but no, thankfully I've never made that mistake. However, broadcasting wise, the, the worst blooper I ever had, um, I was doing a post game interview with Eastern Michigan women's basketball coach, Amory Gilbert. And, uh, Two players went off in the game, had a great game. And I went to say, what did you see that led to these players having so much success? And it came out, what did you see that led to these two players having so much sex? <laughs> and then I immediately corrected myself, sex, success. And she just kind of looked at me and smiled. And then, you know, we finished the interview. But it was the most embarrassing, that funny story that has ever happened. Well, you know, I mentioned the, uh, you know, the, the two out of the three jobs that you have that, you know, they're, they're very difficult to get in. The radio is one who just talked about, you know, the, the DJing. But the other one is being a play-by-play guy, a person. That is about the the toughest out of all of the fields to get into. And you have done that. What's Just tell me how many years you've, you've done that over at Eastern. Well, if you count my student time, it would be 17 because uh, I started as a student in 03. But professionally would have been – uh, right after I graduated in 07, I got, I joined 89.1 WEMU as a color analyst for a couple of years and then went over and started doing a, a student production or not student production, a, a paid subscription for Eagle uh, All Access. And then the last five years, uh, they've been having ESPN uh, plus and free. Um, and I've been uh, anchoring the play by play for those for men's and women's basketball. Oh, so you went from, uh, you went from the analyst to the play by play guy. You like being play by play guy better, right? I'm a natural play by play guy. You know, when I was asked to, become a color analyst um i wasn't gonna turn it down it was something like yeah absolutely i'll give it a shot and uh the the former color analyst at the time brian amorowski he was with john fountain who was a long time play-by-play voice of uh, the eagles oh, yeah. and so when he retired uh nemo slid over to play-by-play and then i split into color um because i was actually their halftime anchor the year before i earned a scholarship sportscasting scholarship did the updates at, at the half and then did kind of player features for football basketball um, men's and women's and uh, I did that for almost three years, I think it was. And then it was just 
it was hard to do that in the radio station because sometimes you'd be on the road two, three days a week if there was two road games. Um, and uh, so I had to make the decision. So I walked away from WEMU just so I could stay with the ticket. Mm. And then uh, a year or so later, Greg Steiner called me up and said, hey, we have this subscription-based network called Eagle All Access where you know people pay to, to hear the broadcast. And I'm like, absolutely. So I jumped in, did that for a couple of years. And then, like I said, when uh, the ESPN broadcast came in, um, they called me again. So we want you to anchor these as our play-by-play guy. And that's been some of the most enjoyable um, work I've ever had. Yeah, that's if like I could a, do play-by-play for a living, I'd do it. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's how much I love. I was going to say that. That's like a true love when you're doing that. Like, it, it's uh, it's fun to do, and, and, and but they're so difficult, uh, the jobs to get those. And when you get it, man, if you can do that. And you could do that full time. Uh, there's that's that's getting it done. It's, it's a, a lot of challenges, right? I mean, people think, oh, well, you just show up and you call the action. It's like, no, that's that's really not how it works. I mean, every broadcast I do, there's at least two to three hours of prep work that I put in personally. Not only building my charts for both teams, like Eastern's chart doesn't change too much, except you know what you're doing as far as points, rebounds, this, keeping all the updated stats. But you know, I build charts for the opposing team, and then you. I do notes, and I think that's what prepared me was when I was a student, you know, you didn't have anything to prepare for, but you had no commercial breaks to, to rely on to fill time, so you had to fill that time yourself, and you would prep for that. Same with Eagle All Access. So I would build my notes, and, you know, if there's a stoppage in play or a timeout or whatever, that's what I would talk about the coach or where the team's from or what they did last season, like, you know, stuff you would do during a broadcast. And then what was the best part about ESPN is that we now have a crew and they'll take my notes and they build graphics for the TV production. And then when I get there before the game, we'll go over the graphics. And if I go to talk about you know a certain player, they'll pull up you know the lower third, the highlight package, and we can talk about it. And it's what you're seeing on TV. Awesome. Yeah. You know what? Uh, hopefully, you know everything we talk about, you know, sport. Well, hopefully you'll be able to get back and and do that. Just like we'll hopefully get back into radio. Hopefully you'll be able to get back into DJing. Hopefully all yeah. of those things. So I, I know you get a. How are you staying sharp besides coming on this podcast? Uh, well, I've been obviously uh, having a lot of Zoom calls with some people, um, you know, doing that, debating sports with some friends. I'm still watching, you know, a little bit of TV here and there as far as, you know, sports and, and just, you know, pop culture is concerned. But uh, a lot of this time, you know, spending it with the family, man. I know you're probably doing the same thing. I've got a lot of projects around the house that I've been wanting to get done. The downside to losing the job is um, the money I was counting on for DJing this summer was going in my, my basement, Man Cave 2.0. Mm. Um, cause I moved, I moved houses four years ago and so I had to put all that stuff on hold and just doing as many projects as I can and, you know, just kind of see what the sports leagues are doing. I know everybody's trying to restart and they're, you know, staggering when or if they can do it. You know, the NHL came out a couple of days ago and said the playoff format and, you know, the talks today about major league baseball and the players, you know, Scott Boris saying, don't take the deal. So it's going to be intriguing one way or the other, whether we actually have sports heading into 2021 or if we have to wait. Yeah, I kind of pictured you being out on the back porch, like you know, doing updates, you know, to the to the backyard. Like I'm Ryan Woolley, or and then you know, lo and behold, I looked on Facebook and you're like doing play by play of a video game. So you know. well, it's, uh, I, was, I was just going to bring it up. So there's two things here. So first off, I am on my back porch right now. I don't know if you hear the birds chirping, um, but so I built my kids a Mario Kart arcade cabinet, and uh, it was one thing Blenny talked about before this pandemic actually happened. It was online. I'm sure you can still find it, but. Um, my son knows that I broadcast, and he's like, hey, can you broadcast my So I did it just for fun one time, and I'm like, I don't know if people are going to find this entertaining or not. So then I recorded myself doing it, and it kind of lit up. Everyone's like, oh, my God, that's so cool. Like, how did you do that? And you keep it up. So then I started doing more and uh, posted them on Twitter. So that's been fun to keep play-by-play sharp. And then um, one of the anchors at WWJ, Zach Clark, he created this uh, bedroom news network on TikTok, and it's like 60 seconds of news you need to know. And I reached out to him. I said, hey, if you need a sports reporter, let me know. I can give you a sports update. Uh, he's like, yeah, we need you to fill in, actually, the next few days. And so it's supposed to be like a comedy sketch of you doing an update, but it's actual news. So there's one time of me standing in the shower with a shower cap on, and there's another time me trimming my nose hairs, giving an update. I mean, just, you know, stupid stuff like that. But, you know, just like you said, trying to stay sharp and have fun with it. Just <laughs> a personality. Wooly on TikTok. Something I thought I would never hear, but uh, hey, you know, desperate times. Uh, that's what they say. Well, you know what? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't doubt that uh, you'll be back behind a mic somewhere, you know, broadcasting. Uh, I'm pretty sure of that. I will put my money on that. I do appreciate your time and all the best. Stay safe. Good luck on uh, on your on your child coming here early early in July, July 4th. 
I'll be ready <laughs> for that. And uh, yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll, uh, we'll hear you again. We certainly will see you. Thanks, thanks so much, Willie. Hey Dennis, I appreciate it, and uh, congratulations on your podcast as well. Thanks to see you doing some stuff and still hearing you. Hey, take care, man. We'll talk to you again. All right, thanks, Dennis. There he is, Ryan Woolley. Hey, let's just producer play the music so loud for. That's gonna do it. Take care. Thanks to Angelique Shingelis and Ryan Woolley, the two of them. And until next time, take care.